Luke chapter 12. We are going to take two weeks away from our little booklet because we are having our international compassion focus. So we'll be talking about missions the next two weeks in our 10 o'clock hour and 11 o'clock hour. Luke chapter 12. We're going to talk about New Testament giving today. We're going to look a little bit about what the Bible teaches us about New Testament giving. Jesus taught about money quite a bit. And he was obviously a well-known leader, a well-known speaker. And people would come to him with questions. And so we're going to look at what Jesus focused on with this question in Luke chapter 12. And look with me at verse number 13. And one of the company, okay, so one of the group that were there listening to Jesus teach. Okay, this doesn't call him a disciple. doesn't call him a believer. doesn't call him... Uh, any of these things. He was just one of the company, just one of the people. And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. So we have right away, we have a family problem. We have a money problem. And he's coming to Jesus to settle the dispute. Now, here's something about Jesus. He doesn't just take a question for the surface. This guy's saying, help me settle this dispute about the inheritance. Okay, but what does Jesus focus on? He focuses on the heart. He always focuses on the heart, and that's what we'll find in the few uh, verses that kind of explain this. And so that's what we'll, we'll be focusing on here in the next two weeks. We'll be talking about the heart. We'll be talking about foreign missions, as you can see, the many flags um, in our room. We'll see. We'll talk about money. We'll talk about the need this world has. But ultimately, what we're talking about here is we're talking about our heart, our heart for God and our heart for the things that he cares about most. So let's pray, and then we'll read through some of these verses. Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity to meet together. Thank you, Lord, for Bible study time, teaching and training in this area of New Testament finances. Lord, I pray that you would help me, Lord, as I teach. pray that our hearts would be open to this challenge and that we would be willing to grow in this area. Father, this world needs the gospel. This gospel can be limited when your people are not involved in giving. Lord, we love you. Pray that you bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Luke chapter 12 and verse number 13. One of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. Verse 14, and he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? Okay, so Jesus did not come to settle disputes such as this is what he's saying. Now look at the warning he gives him in verse number 15. Again, Jesus knows the heart of this individual, which is why he said this. 
And he begins to warn him against covetousness. Notice it says in verse 15, And he said unto him, Take heed and beware of covetousness. What's covetousness? Wanting stuff, Miss Wendy says. What else? Loving the money. Okay, from this story, we're talking about a brother who has another brother, and they're fighting over the inheritance. So when Jesus is warning him of covetousness in this story, how can we see or how can we define covetousness? Brother brother Marcus. Don't be so jealous of what somebody else ha- of, of something that someone else has, so that you are trying to steal it, brother Braden. Yes. Okay, so it's not just the desire to want to, to want something, because let's be honest, that's not really possible to not want things. Right. The Bible doesn't teach us don't want anything. We're just supposed to be in this state of wanting nothing. That's Buddhism. That's not Christianity. Okay, Buddhism teaches us that everything that we see is an illusion. And that's what brings pain in our life by desiring things that can be seen. That's what Buddhism teaches. God doesn't say that. God says that everything in our life is either a tool, something that can be used, Right. To worship God, something that can be used for the benefit of our families, of our own lives. Everything is either a tool or everything is an idol. Something that we hold up and worship and kind of. We 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 put that as the most important thing. God doesn't teach us that everything is an illusion. That we should that we should not want anything. Right. Everybody's staring at me like, I don't know if that's true. That's true. Okay. And, and I'm not because I say so, because we're going to study God's word and see this. All right. He's saying you're coveting what your brother has. Your, your brother, the, the portion of the inheritance that falls to your brother, you you want what he has. Take heed and beware of covetousness. Right. Verse 15. We're in uh, Luke 12 and 15. Luke 12, 15. We're talking about New Testament giving. So let me just kind of give you a little bit because we probably won't cover all of this today. We'll work on this again next week, potentially. My question is. What not not every single verse that Jesus taught about giving, we're not going to do that necessarily, but in a practical way. Jesus, at 30 years old, stopped his career, we want to call it that, of being a carpenter, where he was making a living, right? And then he started going out and he started preaching and teaching the kingdom of God. Is that right? Are we awake? Are we good? So he stopped making money, and then he started preaching and teaching. The Bible doesn't record that he ever worked a job while he was teaching and preaching, right? We don't see that. 
So when we're talking about Christianity surviving, how did Jesus survive? What did he teach about money? Right? Not Again, we're not going to look at every single little thing. But really, my question is, oftentimes when churches talk about giving and, 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 and stuff, they go to the Old Testament, which is good. But my question is, in the New Testament age, what, what does the Bible record as what New Testament believers were supposed to, to give? They were no longer required to bring in animal sacrifices. They were no longer required to give money to the temple, right? They were no longer required to give money to the temple so that the Levites could survive in that way. We don't, we don't find that in scripture. So for Christianity to move forward, which is represented by these flags, we'll talk about that in a second lesson today. For Christianity to not just survive, but thrive. For Sparrow Baptist Church to thrive. For you as a Christian to thrive in your finances as a believer. What what is the example we're given in Scripture? How should we give? We've all heard those stories. I remember this huge Pentecostal church in Arkansas. Still there. It's gigantic. They had a beautiful small one, and then they built a gigantic large one right next to the beautiful small one. Rumor had it, which, you know, rumors could either be true or not true, that if you wanted to join the church, you had to turn over your financial information to the church office, and they would basically have some kind of an idea of what how much money you made, and you had to basically promise to tithe, but even like there was some kind of a an arrangement where the tithe was going to come to the church, right? Whether that was some kind of a prearranged, like, I don't know. Anyway, it seemed like it was very forceful. And that's what it cost to be a part of this big fancy church. We've got people out there that demonize any kind of church asking for money at all if a church asks you for money, it's probably not a good church. All the way down to, we've heard stories where the people can just be really heavy on the pressure, even to the point of asking for financial information and trying to get this. And then, of course, there are the people out there in the broad spectrum of Christianity where they just, they're lying to people and they're taking the money and it's a, a legal matter of fraud. Okay, so let's go back to what does the Bible actually say about Jesus's ministry? And also, we'll look a little bit about in the New Testament. What was the giving like in the New Testament? So we can see here right away, this other guy brings up in verse 13, brings up the topic of money. He says, speak to my brother, did he divide the inheritance with me? He said unto him, man who made me a judge or divider over you. And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Do we see this nowadays? Where somebody's life is totally wrapped up in what they have and what they want. What they have and what they want. 
Okay, and then Jesus gives a parable right after this. It says, verse 16, and he spake a parable unto them, saying, the ground of a certain rich man. He was already rich. But the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. He said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. Verse 19, and I will say to my soul, soul, isn't that funny? I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool. This night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? Verse 21 is the key to understanding this story. Please don't think that somehow because this guy decided to keep all of his stuff and he was selfish that God decided to kill him. That's not what this is teaching. It was saying that basically it was time for this guy to pass away. And this guy did not think at all about eternity. He was only concerned about making money and keeping as much as he could and then because he had these huge barns filled with what the Bible calls fruit, okay, grain, maybe, he's like, I'm going to sit back and take my ease and live the rest of my life in comfort and ease, retirement. Okay, so what was the flaw in this? Well, verse 21 tells us the flaw. So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. What is Jesus's philosophy of ministry? Philosophy of finance, sorry. What is his what is his teaching on finances? That finances are a tool that we need to use our finances, yes to take care of ourselves, yes to take care of our families. Yes, to take care of, we'll get into this in just a moment, take care uh, and to, and we can enjoy. Matter of fact, a couple of weeks ago on Wednesday night, we had a, we had a, a lesson from Ecclesiastes about how God wants for us to enjoy the fruit of our hands, the fruit of our labor, right? It says that, I just read through Ecclesiastes, I'm guessing at least four or five times, if not six, six times. It says many times in the book of Ecclesiastes, Enjoy the fruit. But we have to understand that having a mindset where we allow our money to, where our money can be used not just for this life, but also to please God. We must understand that this mindset allows us to live a more blessed life. 
Jesus is teaching us here that he did not come to give us financial prosperity. That's not the purpose of him coming. He came to teach us how to honor God with our heart. And this guy, when he had this incredible, look at it in verse number 16, he's speaking to a parable unto them saying, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. Who's responsible for that? Who, who allows or who is the one that allows us to become successful? God. Okay, let's look at James. Hebrews, James. So Jesus is teaching him here, not that money is wicked. He's not saying that. Okay? He's not saying, don't try to be successful. He's not saying that either. He's not saying, if you're, if you're really successful and you get a, let's just say, you get a big giant bonus. He's not saying, don't go put in the bank. In this guy's case, build a bigger barn and put in the barn. He's not saying that. The flaw is, it was all for him. Did he think about God one time? No. And God is saying, you're a fool. Why? Because your day of death is coming tomorrow. This night, your soul will be required of you. And you could have used that money to honor God and have a reward in heaven to help other people. And it didn't even cross your mind. That's what he's trying. That's the point he's trying to make. Of course, he's teaching this covetous guy that's in front of him. All he cares about is getting more of the inheritance from his brother. How can I get more? Oh, I know. I'll go find Jesus. He's really powerful. If anybody can make him give me more of this inheritance, Jesus can make him do it. And Jesus is like, I am not here to satisfy your cravings for more. Can he give us more? Sure. Does he give us more? Yes. Is it a blessing from God when he does that? Yes, it is a blessing from God. Okay? Christianity does not teach that we should all live in poverty. It doesn't say that. And it certainly doesn't say avoid success at all costs. Be as lazy as possible. Just sit in your room and pray. It doesn't say that. Are we okay so far? We understand? Okay. So for the Christian, we need to understand that everything comes from God. It says here in James 1, Verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Every good thing comes from God. You say, no, actually, I've got my incredible job because I'm super smart. It's like, well, who, who created you to be super smart? You didn't do that. Uh-huh. Really? You're the one that gave yourself the brain that can learn all this stuff and retain it. Mm -mm. Uh, none of us chose our parents. None of us chose to 
be born into our situation where we can now have the education opportunities. All of this is from the Lord. And God is teaching us in this story not to be greedy, not to make everything about ourselves. It's funny because uh, uh, when I when I looked at uh, Luke 12 and verse number 19, this seems to be the life plan of many in Toronto. You hear this all the time. Verse number 19 could be could be the life plan of many people. This is what I want. This is my this is my goal. Verse 19. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine easy, drink and be merry. I want to retire at 25. And do what? Honestly. And do what? Whatever I want. You know how miserable of a life that would be? For everything to be consumed upon yourself? God says he does not give us the opportunities. He does not bless the fruit of our field, so to speak. To only be consumed upon ourselves. It's supposed to be used as a tool to worship God and to help others. It says um, in verse 22 through 34, let's read these. And he said unto his disciples, therefore, I say unto you, notice he says, therefore, okay, in my in my particular Bible, this is a new paragraph. If your Bible has paragraphs, anybody have paragraphs in their Bible? Okay, this is a new paragraph, but it's following. We 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 say in Bible interpretation, if you see the word therefore, you should always look and see what it's there for, right? So he's saying, Jesus is saying, verse 22, he said unto his disciples, and remember, this isn't a group. Like this is, this guy really got his man. He, Jesus set him straight. You're covetous, is what he said right to him. <laughs> and here's a story to help everybody understand. And you need to learn to lay up treasures in heaven and not just lay up treasures for yourself. Is it wrong to have a savings account? Of course not. We'll get into that later. Not today, but at another time. Is it wrong to be uh, conservative with our spending? No, it's a good thing. Is it wrong for us to have things? No, it's not wrong for us to have things. It's wrong for things to have us. I follow the things. I want the things. I have to have the things so that I ignore others and I ignore God. That's what's wrong. It says it in another way, if we flip over to Matthew. We'll come back to those other verses here in just a second. Matthew 5. Sorry, Matthew 6, 
Matthew 6, 19. Matthew 6, 19 says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Why does God teach us about money? Because he cares about our heart. Christianity primarily is a religion. That's not the right word. But it is a relationship of our heart. And what I spend my money on is a very easily trackable way to find out what do I care about. Um, I went to the dentist on Thursday. You hear the joy in my voice. Any, any cavities, pastor? No cavities. Praise, praise his holy name. Do you floss every day? Praise God. But at the end, what do they give you? They give you a little paper baggie with a brand new toothbrush and a little baby tube of toothpaste. And a little kind of almost like a one-time use floss. Like there's not much in there, right? Maybe two times use. Imagine if it was my wife's birthday or our anniversary. And I came home after the dentist. And I just kind of threw her that little white paper bag with the free toothbrush. Some of you are glaring at me right now. I didn't actually do this. Okay? And the toothpaste. Love ya. Happy anniversary. Everybody, all the women right now are like upset. Again, I didn't actually do this. Why are you upset? Because you think that is not love. You show your wife that you truly love and adore her. In several ways. One of which is words. Amen. You use nice words, not just on that one day, but all the time. You say sorry. A lot. I need to say sorry a lot. Amen. It's a good relationship. Okay? But also I can prove it. I can prove the sincerity of my love when there are times for me to give. Well, if you knew me and you were listening, you would know that I really wanted this. How many times have husbands heard that? And the ladies are right. Amen. Again, now all of a sudden this has gotten awkward. It's not meant to be awkward. The point is, is that we can easily understand if somebody says they love this or that, or they love this person or that person. You know it by the way they act and what they spend their money on. 
We got to go to a Blue Jays game a couple weeks ago. For free, by the way. Praise God. Somebody gave us tickets. The college where I teach. Bible, a Bible college. Bought us Blue Jays tickets. As a way of saying thank you, by the way, for teaching. You show up to a Blue Jays game. Man, I'll tell you what. You can tell a Blue Jays fan right away. They're decked out in all the stuff. They've got all the stuff. And typically, they'll go to the store and buy more stuff while they're wearing stuff. Right? And then you go and get that ice cream in the little hat. You guys have seen the little hats? It's a bowl, but it looks like a Blue Jays uh, batting cap. It's a hard plastic, and it's, you, you're eating ice cream out of a hat. What do you do with the hat? You keep it. Why? Because you're a fan. It's going to go somewhere. It's very easy to see if a Christian really loves Jesus. We'll see it with our checks or our cash withdrawals or our e-transfer receipts. Uh-oh. Yeah, that's what he's saying. You will see if you love the Lord. Do, don't use your finances to seek after, only after pleasures, but use your finances to seek first God's kingdom. Do you love him? Do you love him? Do you love what he loves? For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Pastor, you don't know how expensive it is. Oh, my dear friends. We all live in Toronto. We all know how expensive it is. But we should manage our finances in such a way that we make sure that we show God how much we love him. The Bible says, and we'll, we'll come right back to, let's go back to Luke. We'll read this. Luke 12 and verse 22. Luke 12 and 22. And he said unto his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life. What ye shall eat, neither for the body what ye shall put on. The life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn. And God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? And which of you, with taking thought, can add to his stature one cubit? If ye then be not able to do that thing which is least, why take ye thought for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, they spin not. And yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. By the way, Jesus saw Solomon in all of his glory. He knew exactly what he was talking about. Verse 28. If God then so clothed the grass which is today in the field... And tomorrow is cast into the oven. How much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? And seek not ye what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink. Neither be ye of doubtful mind. For all these things that the nations of the world seek after. Your father knoweth that ye have need of these things. But rather, verse 31, seek ye the kingdom of God. And all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Okay? 
uh, verse 33 and 34, sell that ye have and give alms, provide yourselves bags, which wax not old treasure in the heavens that faileth not where no thief approacheth, neither moth cor corrupteth for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Again, the emphasis is falling heavy on love what God loves. Use your money as a tool to worship God, to help others. It's not meant to be used as a uh, a, an idol, essentially, that which replaces God, that all of our powers and all of our energies are going into my money and what I want. Because then, as it says in one of my Bibles, uh, one of my study Bibles, you know, they put the little titles in there and it talks about anxiety. And that's what this chapter, this little piece is labeled that. Jesus is teaching us how to combat financial anxiety. How do we combat that? With faith. Okay, so, but in reality, I'm going to protect myself against financial anxiety in the world's thinking, the way you do that is you make as much as you can, save all that you can, and get mad at anybody who even comes close to trying to get anything of your stuff. Right? Uh, our little puppy dog. We had these, uh, these little, we had some friends come over on, um, Labor Day, and one of our friends is, uh, he's, he's Filipino. And, but he brought these, uh, Korean short rib, Korean short ribs. Oh man. If you've never had them, they're so good. They've got these little tiny bones in them. Well, now, uh, we made the mistake of letting our little dog chew on one of those bones. Well, because they're, the short ribs are, they're everywhere and, and it seems like children like to sprinkle the bones all over the yard. And all of a sudden now it's like we see Oliver just trying to sneak around something. And he's chewing on something it's like, what do you have? You know, the, the dad voice. What do you have? And he tries to run away. And the other the other morning he came in, I let him out and he came in and he had something. And he's a little tiny dog. You guys have seen him. He's a tiny little dog, you know, and I'm like straddling him and he's got one of those little bones. The problem is, is that he can actually, we, we realize he can actually chew them, swallow them. And then the night after the, he threw up like multiple times, these little bones. So we got it. We have to make sure we fish him out. Right. What do you have? Give it to me. Right. And you try to like kind of work your fingers into his mouth. You can do that with a rubber ball, but I'm telling you what, when a dog has a bone, he growled at me. This 11-pound dog. And I, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt, which I don't know if you're supposed to do that with dogs. But he, like, bit my finger, but I think maybe he's trying to bite the bone. I don't know. The point is, he had that bone, and he was not going to let me have it without a fight. But I knew it was bad for him, for him to have it. Because if he had it, 
He was going to keep chewing on it to the point where it was going to become these little shards that were going to become dangerous to his digestive tract. And eventually, we would have a pile of throw-up to clean up somewhere, multiple places around the house. So even though he wants it terribly, terribly bad, I know better for my dog that it's not good for him. God knows what is good for us. There is something about money that changes people's hearts. There are many people not sitting in this church or another church today because of this very thing. They're chasing. They're chasing the almighty dollar. They're worshiping an idol of covetousness. And then someone hears a lesson like this. And we all, in our fallen flesh, instinctively are kind of like Oliver, where God's like, come on. You know you need to give. You know you need to worship. You know you need to do more. You know you need to do whatever it is I'm placing on your heart to do. You know you don't need to live your life just for visible things. And what do we do? We growl. We bite his hand. But God knows that if he lets us live that way, the very thing that we're desperate to have and really what we're replacing him as can become that which we eventually choke on. And like a dog returns to his vomit. So many Christians live a life of selfishness, covetousness. They're not any different from the outside than an unbeliever. And yet, as Jesus said, after all these things do the Gentiles seek, the question remains, if we have all the Christians living like unbelievers, desperate for what the world has, and are willing to do anything to get what they see and what they want. What happens to the kingdom of God? The flags represented. These are only just a few in the world. These are just a couple that of those people in our church. What happens to the kingdom? His kingdom suffers. And is God telling me to give everything? He's telling you to give all your heart. He's not necessarily telling you to give all your money. He wants all of you. He wants all of you. We'll look at two verses and then we'll be finished. 2 Corinthians 8. Second Corinthians 8. It gives an, an illustration. Churches will typically use this passage, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10. 
to talk about giving to missions. This is a passage that describes a group of churches in an area of the world called Macedonia. Macedonia is still there. And these people gave sacrificially to God and to God's work. It says in verse 3, For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Look at verse number 5. How did they give sacrificially? These people were so poor. Describes their poverty. And verse 2, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. Great joy, deep poverty. Amazing gift that can only be described as God's grace enabled them to want to give this, but also to give this to the work of God. What was the starting point? The starting point, listen, was not the pressure from the Apostle Paul. These two weeks are not meant to be pressure. I am not pressuring anybody. I'm doing what I always do with any topic in the Bible. I'm sharing what the Bible says about it. The pressure you feel in your heart is from the Holy Spirit. That's between you and God. I will never ask you what you're getting. That's between you and God. But what was the starting point? It wasn't the Apostle Paul giving them pressure to give. It says in verse 5, and this they did, not as we hoped. But first gave their own selves to the Lord. God had their heart. God had their heart. Circle back to the story about the man who was covetous. The only good that he could see Jesus was for him, he wanted to use Jesus to get more. Jesus is looking for people that are looking to Jesus and they want he wants them to give more. I want to give you something. I want to worship you. I want to follow you in faith. What happens when we do that? All the anxiety of the daily stuff, it just kind of, God's going to take care of that. I'm giving to God what he wants me to give, whatever that number may be. I'm going to give to God, and God's going to take care of all of the anxiety, financial stuff that all the rest of the world deals with. Honestly, it sounds like a pretty good trade. It sounds like a pretty good trade. But we have to give our own selves unto the Lord. They gave their own selves to the Lord. Verse 9, and we're done. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Canada is a country that significantly struggles in producing 
its own ministers and churches. The culture, I'm talking about at large, by and large, is completely unconcerned with faith or with eternity. We can say that the lost culture in Canada is primarily concerned with success and building greater barns so that they can live a life of ease. I think that would be a safe assumption. We must fight this pressure by keeping our hearts right with God in the area of finances. In the area of financially supporting the local church, it appears the government's involvement in the Catholic and Anglican churches with the government of Canada leads, potentially leads the mindset of local assemblies to think there's no need for them to give. You go to the local Catholic church or the local Anglican church and they're funded by the government. They have government funding. We have to understand that's not the New Testament church model. Sparrow Baptist Church and other independent Baptist churches and other churches of other denominations receive absolutely no money whatsoever from the government for us to exist. The only thing we get is a charitable tax uh, status so that we don't have to pay taxes as a church for church finances. That's it. We are wholly dependent upon the obedience and sacrifice of the local church assembly. Starting a church is like having a baby. When babies are first born, they are completely unconcerned about contributing. Babies are fed, clothed, burped, pampered, and loved. They don't understand. They are just taken care of. As they grow, they become more aware and eventually contribute themselves. This is the pattern of church growth in the area of finances. And Sparrow Baptist Church is growing in this area. The finances that we have, giving to missions and for this local assembly to thrive, has grown over the past couple of years. And this focus is simply for us to be reminded through God's word that we must continue. That we all must allow God to challenge our heart and say, am I doing what God wants me to do? And by the way, let me remind you, tithing is 10% of your income, and that is the lowest offering found in the Bible. That is the smallest number. Well, I don't know if I'm coming back next week. Ah, don't say that. That's an indication of your heart. Because like the story, one day we're all going to stand before God. I, by the grace of God, want to stand before him and say, I wish I'd given you more, but I tried to do right while I was here. I tried to do right while I was here. I tried to obey what I understood and what you put in my heart while I was here. And I tried not to live a life of selfishness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for an opportunity to study your word in this regard. Father, we all can grow in this area. 
I'm very thankful, Lord, for your sacrifice and your grace. Bless the service to come. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.